good morning. <laughs> Duke knows my name. <laughs> well, it's an uh, honor to have a chance to bring the Word of God to you this morning, and uh, we continue in our study of Romans, so I will invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6, and today we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, so that's Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Please read along while I read it aloud. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, what we are not make us. Amen. Now, Paul makes an emphatic declaration right at the beginning of this chapter. And before we delve into that, we need to back up just a little bit for context. And so let's go back to chapter 5, verse 20. We've, we had chapter 5 last week as our focus. And chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, The law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we don't know if Paul had actually heard somebody express these ideas that he's addressing, or if he was anticipating it. It doesn't really matter. Because what he was speaking to was a belief that is known as antinomianism. The idea that the more we sin, the more God's grace is shown in forgiveness of sin. In fact, you'll see this in Gnostic belief that the body is completely bad. Therefore, the uses of the body in a sinful way really don't matter much in eternity because it's God's grace and forgiveness that will matter. But Paul's response is unambiguous to this. There is no doubt to what he says. And Paul is basing this on the teaching of Scripture. Leviticus 20.26 20, says, You are to be holy to me because I am the Lord. I the, I the Lord am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. Now the word holy in that, in that passage from Leviticus is the Hebrew word kadesh, which means set apart. We are to be set apart. 
When somebody says we're just like everybody else in the world, that is actually not scripturally true. People who follow Christ are not like everybody else in the world. They are set apart. We don't take that as some way of looking down upon people, but if we see ourselves as just like the world, it can lead us to live in a way that does not glorify Christ. God said to Joshua in chapter 22, verse 5, be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Certainly, that is a definite declaration. We are not to sin purposely so God will be glorified and his grace will be shown. We are to follow him and notice the command. Very often, people speak of the Ten Commandments as if there's some kind of a negative, as, as if they're old-fashioned, as if God made a mistake in some way and that we're no longer under the Ten Commandments. That is absolutely not true. The Ten Commandments are perfect and holy. They are put in place by God so we will see our sin, that our sin will be abundantly clear to us. And through that, we will know that we need Him in His grace. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He's not speaking to the issue of the fact that we will have sin in our life. He's speaking to people who are living those things, that they are doing those things with full knowledge, in their minds at least, that they think they are still under God's grace, that they can do what they want because they'll be forgiven. They take and distort ideas like once forgiven, always forgiven as a license to live how they want as long as at some point they are forgiven. In Paul's response here, in the first five verses of chapter 6, we see the gospel absolutely embedded in this. And particularly, we can just look at verse 4, where he says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may too walk in newness of life. That should be very familiar to any of us who have witnessed baptism in this church. That is the passage that we, in essence, recite in our baptism, buried with Christ in a death, risen to walk in the newness of life. And what Paul is saying there, and one verse encapsulates it, is this, that we were born irretrievably guilty of sin, that there is nothing we can do as individuals to earn our way out of sin. That as Adam sinned, that sin became the sin of all mankind. And the only way out of that sin is through the grace of God. That grace came in the form of Jesus Christ, who being all God and all man, came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And he did this because without sin, he could be the sacrifice for our sin. Our sin deserves death. Death, in God's language, means separation from him forever in the painful and excruciating life that would be in hell. Yet Jesus came to this earth. 
He lived his perfect life. He willingly went to the cross. And on that cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the point where Jesus paid the price for all of the sin that was ever committed or will ever be committed in mankind. And then he said, it is done. But more than that, he was placed in a tomb and he came out of that tomb after three days in the body in which he was placed in that tomb. And he defeated death forever so that we can be assured of life with God forever. And if we look at that verse in verse 4, we were buried with him by the baptism into death. Our sin was buried. It was put into death. And therefore, we were buried with him into death, but we were raised from the dead by the glory of the Father to walk in the newness of life. I like how John Piper sums this up. He says, Jesus was the ground. He, was also, he is also our goal, how we live. He says, Jesus was the redeemed. He was the redeemer. He's also our reward. And Jesus, and, and this, is, this is a wonderful one, Jesus then was the price for our sin, and he is the prize of our salvation. And so as Paul talks about this, he talks about the new self that we have here. And in verses 6 through 11, he says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are new creatures when Jesus Christ becomes Lord and Savior of our life. The old is gone and the new has come. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, he says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The worldly point of view. Through, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We once, before we knew Christ as Lord and Savior, regarded him as a worldly way, in a worldly way. Look at how people talk about him. Well, he, he was a good man. He was a good teacher. He had some nice things to say. We've had people who've tried to alter that over the years. All types of people have changed what Christ says. And it's an interesting and I'm not tying them together, but people from J Thomas Jefferson who took things out of the Bible to even Adolf Hitler decreed th that this church that was official in Germany take things out by Paul because he was too soft. And he finishes up in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. That's us. The new is here. Not hanging on to something that's old. He uses the word enslaved to sin to describe our former situation. We are now enslaved to grace. We want 
to do those things that show God's glory through his commandments. Out of gratitude to him, we live a life that shows that his word is center. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We sang that this morning, by the way. Did you see those words? A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That in no way sounds like a prescription to go on and commit sin because God's mercy will be shown even more. It shows just the opposite. And it shows that we need to live the sanctified life. Verses 12 through 14 talk about this. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. For as those who are alive from the dead offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. We see today that antinomianism can creep into the church and that we may live lives that are compartmentalized in our specific acts of faith as separate from our everyday existence. We come in and do specific things that we think represent our faith, yet in, our re in the rest of our everyday existence, we can live like that. It's not a factor. 1 John 2, 3 and 6 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Jesus lived all the time, every minute he, when he was on earth, for the glory of God. That's how we are to live, for the glory of God. John continues in chapter 5 of the first book of John, verses 3 and 4, he says, In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You know, when Jesus came, he said, I did not come to abolish the commandments, but I came to fulfill them. They didn't go away. They're still there. They are perfect. They are divinely in God's ordinance. Again, to show us our sin, to convict us of our sin, to show us the depths of it. And it's interesting that one of the supreme ironies of our lives is that the very things in our society that we condemn as being ungodly are things we willingly consume in the name of entertainment. Think about that. 
We point at things in our society that we say, this is an example where this society has gone wrong, where it has left God behind. And yet, we somehow rationalize in our minds that it's okay for us to willingly, purposely use those things for entertainment. Now, somebody could say, well, that could be true for anything. A, a wonderful conversation a couple weeks ago uh, that some men had, and they talked about being in the workplace, and certainly not a godly atmosphere. But they talked about the fact that they stuck with what they believed, and, and people knew what they believed. And it was interesting to hear them say, yeah, it's, it can be kind of tough, but it's interesting a, a person will will use profanity. They'll curse in front of me, and then they'll oh, I'm sorry. They'll apologize. But person, this, this man wasn't saying anything to them. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, judging them or condemning. They, but they knew where he stood. Another man who, who told the whole group. He said, I just had to tell the whole group that uh, I give all thanks to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for anything I can do. And he said, it's, it's amazing the way people reacted to it. He, he didn't get any condemnation from it. So we could say, well, this world is a terrible place, and if we're not to be exposed to any of these things, then we need to check out of the world. Well, that's not what Jesus said. In John 17, 17, Jesus, as he prayed for us, says, I pray not that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you will guard them in the world. We can't leave the world. In fact, we were put in this world for a reason, and we're put in this place for a reason. But that's a big difference between me walking down the streets and hearing and seeing things that I don't want to see that other people are doing and me purposely bringing it in to my home or onto my phone. I, was, um, I wasn't part of the discussion, but I was part of a group not too long ago. And I wasn't eavesdropping. It was, everybody knew I was sitting there. And uh, there was a discussion about, I believe it is a prequel to the show Game of Thrones. Now, I know that's very popular. Uh, I've never seen it. I know a little bit about it. And so they were talking about this. And one of the people, and, and by the way, let me, let me paraphrase. I should have said this. That was um, a group of Christians. A group of Christians. Sorry, I didn't say that to start with. One of the people said, you know, I had heard that's a good show. A lot of people have been talking about how good it is. So I decided to watch it. And he said, in the very first scene of the first episode, and I won't describe it to you. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was absolutely gratuitous in nature. It was visually, let's put it this way. Would you show it to your grandmother? Would you show it to your kids? And from what I understand, it, no. Now, this scene that he talked about was at, there, there's no question about it. What really struck me about what happened in the conversation was that nobody responded. A group of Christians. Nobody said something like, oh, I know. There's, you know, I have trouble with nothing. They just kept going on with the discussion of how much they were looking forward to, I think, the prequel for this. And it was it was really obvious to me how easy it is for us to say, you know what? I've got discretion. Remember Paul Simon, whenever the devil would 
call my name, I'd say, who do you think you are fooling? I'm a consecrated man. Remember that song, those of you who are old enough from back in the 70s? I, I, think, I think we say, I've got discretion. I can handle this. Well, I would say this. If you have that thought, you do not have discretion. We are called to avoid this. In fact, we are called to absolutely stay away from this at all costs. You know, we've, we've been in Romans chapter 1 in here. Maybe you remember that a few weeks ago. And the very last verse of Romans chapter 1, verse 32 says, although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now, you could rationalize all you want to say, just because I'm watching it doesn't mean I applaud it. <laughs> Folks, do you know what the age is we live in? It's called the digital age. And unless you're getting your visual images from the good old-fashioned Queen Anne TV towers into your antenna directly, everything you view is recorded. I heard a youth pastor a few weeks ago say to a group of kids, algorithms don't lie. You keep getting stuff popped up that you don't want on your phone, it's because you're either getting tested or you have looked at things along those lines. And let's just talk about the innocent one, and we can all absolutely know this one. We look at something on Amazon, we're not sure if we're going to buy it, we go to a completely unrelated website, and boom, right there in one of their ad spaces is that exact product from Amazon. The algorithms do not lie. Every single thing we watch digitally is recorded. And guess what? The people behind that who set up those algorithms are monitoring that and it's showing popularity. We are applauding when we watch those things. 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Leviticus. Set apart. Holy, set apart. Proverbs 4.27 says, Do not turn to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. John Stott says this, For grace does more than justify, it also sanctifies. It unites us to Christ and it initiates us into a new slavery of righteousness. A lot of people struggle with the word sanctification. They think, well, it, it's kind of like a holier-than-thou mentality. Absolutely not. It is absolutely scriptural. It is God's word. 1 Corinthians 6.19, And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 10, speaking to Christ, he says, by this will, speaking to Christ's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. As opposed to self-righteousness, 
those who are sanctified in Christ who really believe that are actually on their knees in humility before a perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful God. They do not feel smug. Now, don't get me wrong. You will hear that. I came out of a church tradition that some people used kind of a term called Christian perfection. They were so sanctified that they didn't ever sin on purpose. They didn't, they didn't ever sin because they contemplated and then did it, and they only sinned by accident. Hit your, ha- hit your thumb with a hammer, say a bad word, but it's spur of the moment. I mean, that's the idea behind that. That is absolutely from the pit of hell. That, that idea, Christian perfection, absolutely not. Sanctification isn't about thinking we're perfect. Sanctification means to be set apart. The same as holy. It means for us to be set apart. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to the righteousness that is in Jesus Christ. And so through that, we have lives that begin to bear a fruit that have a fragrance, a fragrance that people can tell. They, they may not like it. They may criticize us. They may say our beliefs are silly, but they know it's there. They can see it, and they can sense it in what we do. Ephesians 5, 1, 2 says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus gave himself up to us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That our sin has been washed away. Though it was, our sin was as scarlet, it's now white as snow. And that should put us on our knees before the Lord in thankfulness and bring us to a point where we say, Lord, I don't want the things of this world. I want you and you alone. You know, one of the things that I love is, is our brother Eric Edling says, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Every single day we need to remember the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. It is not love to live in a way that makes it appear that the basis of our faith is simply engaging in particular religious rituals at specific times. True love for our brothers and sisters and for those who are not yet followers of Jesus is to live in such a way that everything we do is for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your perfect word. We thank you that today we can look back on words that you brought about 2,000 years ago and we can see them apply absolutely to our lives. These are not old ideas from a time past. This is the living word of the Almighty God. Lord, we thank you for your grace, that your grace is so abundant that even in our sin, that deserves 
for us to be sent from your presence into hell forever. You love us and you redeem us and you bring us as your own. And so, Lord, let us go today and, and be determined to follow your commands. Not out of a adherence to some strict religious idea that we'll gain something, but out of gratitude for what you've done for us. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.